Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Here's a few words for you. Survival, consciousness, one mind, becoming fully human and conscious evolution. These words and concepts have the capacity to create a rich and vital roadmap for our future in this moment of choice we find ourselves in. Today, we are going to take a deep dive into conscious evolution and consider cooperation as perhaps the impulse guiding our next evolutionary leap for humanity's survival. So muse on this quote, Developing human consciousness, including wisdom and compassion at scale, is now not only a possibility, but a transformational moment in progress. These are words from the book, Our Moment of Choice, and we continue this series, so I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guests. Three epic powerhouse guests here, legends in their own field. I'm really happy to have all three of them here. First, Dr. Joan Borisenko is a world-renowned expert in the mind-body connection, a licensed psychologist and Harvard Medical School trained cell biologist. She synthesizes cutting-edge science with deep humanity. A New York Times bestselling author of 17 books, she is present president of Mind Body Health Sciences in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And next, Dr. Larry Dossie is an internal medicine physician, former chief of staff of Medical City Dallas Hospital, and former co-chairman of the Panel on Mind-Body Interventions, National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine, and National Institutes of Health. He's the author of 13 books on the role of consciousness and spirituality in health, which have been translated into languages around the world. His most recent book is One Mind, How Our Individual Mind is Part of a Greater Consciousness and why it matters. He lectures around the world. And finally, Dr. Bruce Lipton, cell biologist and lecturer, is an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. Bruce was on the faculty of the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and later performed groundbreaking stem cell research at Stanford University. He's the best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, The Honeymoon Effect, and co-author of Spontaneous Evolution. Bruce received the 2009 prestigious Goy Award, Goy Peace Award, in honor of his scientific contributions to world harmony. And I'm so happy to have all three of you back on the show. Welcome, each of you. We are so Thank happy you. to be here with you, Julie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Bruce. And I heard Larry there. And now I hear Joan. Welcome, Joan. And I'm going to begin. You've all been a guest here on my show before, and you've answered my traditional first question, which is, what does all things connected mean to you? 
today I want to begin by asking it with a twist related to this topic as we muse deeper into our moment of choice. All three of you are co-authors in the, the circle four, which is healing ourselves and healing the planet. And I'm so happy to have all of you here together um, and just honored. So thank you all for being here. And so let's start here with this question. And Larry, I'm going to start with you. How does our understanding that all things are connected prepare us for this evolutionary moment of choice? Well, I think the most obvious reason why we need to move in this direction is uh, survival. Uh, I I think as long as the doctrine of materialism uh, holds, then we don't have much of a chance as a species of remaining uh, as survivors on this planet. So I, I think the stakes could not be higher. We need to get this right, or I don't think our future as a species is very bright. Mm, thank you, Larry. Joan, let's check in with you. How How is this understanding of all things are connected preparing us for this evolutionary moment? I think we're seeing it all the way around and seeing how an upset consciousness upsets everybody, no matter what side of any argument you're on. And what's so important is that as soon as even one of us is able to calm down and be present, because we are connected to each other, we are energetic beings, we affect the whole. So I think it's a time when even if a few more people come into a state of being in their heart, being centered in their innate goodness, we can begin to unravel what's happening and get out of our limbic systems and back into our prefrontal cortex where it's possible to actually develop policies that can change the world largely by starting with our children. I have a few questions for you on your section of the book here, but first let's go to Bruce. And Bruce, any reflections on how our understanding that all things are connected affects us at this evolutionary moment? The most important thing to understand is that our illusion of separation gives the opportunity of one side against another side or separation. We're not on the same game. Uh, That's an illusion based on our perception of a material, physical world. Uh, This illusion, uh, and I love it because Albert Einstein said uh, that reality is an illusion, albeit a persistent one, uh, really uh, uh, undermines the fact that Everything is made out of energy, and energy doesn't have borders to it. Energy is all interconnected, and if each of us is an energy being, which we are in quantum physics, that means there's no separation at all. And so the illusion of separation uh, leads to a breakdown of harmony. Uh, and so basically we're coming to a world to say, wait, we're all one, uh, that all humans are like cells in the body of a larger organism called humanity. The illusion of separation is manifesting something akin to autoimmune disease where your own cells fight you, <clears throat> causing a breakdown in the system. Uh, and that's the illusion of separation. And we're coming into the fact that we're all in the same organism and harmony is our destination. Mm. 
Beautiful opening here. And the three of you share a circle in this book. We're doing a series on our moment of choice here. And each of you share in the circle, circle four, which is healing ourselves and the planet. And as I read this circle and read your contributions, this theme of consciousness was where each of you really brought your expertise in. And it's really exciting, some of the things that are emerging here and some patterns I see. But first, I'm going to just go through some pieces from Larry's contribution, then Jones, and then Bruce's. But I invite each of you to jump in if something like kicks the back of your chair and, and makes you want to want to add something to one of these responses. But let's begin with you, Larry. You wrote, we have misconstrued the nature of our own consciousness, our connectedness with one another, and our relationship to all sentient life. We just talked about that in this introduction. Let's begin there with consciousness and the one nine, the one mind. Larry, you're a pioneer of this and it's essential for our conversation today. Tell us more about one mind and what we know, just as Bruce says, we're all cells within one planetary body. I like to think of that, our physical senses, we are cells in the one planetary body, but you talk about one mind as our consciousness is part of one unified field of consciousness. Well, one thing I think we need to uh, dispense with uh, right up front is uh, this illusion that if we are of one mind, if there are no boundaries between individual consciousnesses, then we're just, uh, we, we, we somehow fall into some homogeneous goo where we can't tell uh, one personality from another. Uh, this is a very uh, erroneous way to uh, view or interconnectedness, but it's very prevalent. Uh, you know, in the United States, we were reared on the uh, hallowness of the individual. You can do anything you want if you're clever enough and energetic enough. Uh, but the idea that if we're interconnected, we'd lose our individuality is just a, a horribly wrong idea. It, it empowers us as individuals. It doesn't make us weaker, less indistinguishable from one another. Uh, I think uh, that's one of the things that we need to uh, uh, get straight right, right up front in our conversation. Uh, aside from that, I was astonished months uh, ago to discover a, an avalanche of studies which point to our togetherness uh, studies in precognition and studies in clairvoyance, which have accumulated now into not only the dozens, but the hundreds, show that you cannot separate humans from one another, even if you tried. It just doesn't work. So what we have is science on our side. We're not just talking uh, poetics and uh, romanticism here. We're talking about solid empirical science, which now I think the evidence is just simply overwhelming uh, as to our, uh, our connectivity. So, Larry, um, Dr. Dossi, I'm wondering if you have a metaphor for us to help us, because you and I have done a show on One Mind, your little chapter here, I shouldn't say little, I keep saying that, but your contribution to our moment of choice talks about this One Mind. And I'm wondering if, if we're not just a homogenous goo, do you have a metaphor that helps us see our diversity and yet our wholeness of 
any other metaphors or examples or ways to help us understand that we are individual, unique personalities, but we share a unified field of consciousness? Well, one thing that has helped me uh, enormously is to rely on opinions of uh, really uh, superb intellects in the past. Uh, One of the earliest statements of this principle I can find is from Hippocrates, who uh, spoke to us from about 500 BC uh, forward. Hippocrates said that, quote, there is one common flow, one common breathing. All things are in sympathy. If you fast forward now for about 2,000 years, you'll find the same thing. And people like William Butler Yeats, one of our great poets, who said that uh, there is a common flow of energy creating a single mind, a single energy. Walt Whitman said, all things are hooked and linked together. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote of a universal mind that's common to everyone. And this uh, is not limited to uh, poets. The great physicist of the 20th century left us with uh, memorable statements about this connectivity. Erwin Schrodinger, who won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1933, 1933, said that consciousness cannot be divided because, quote, in truth, there is only one mind. Physicist David Bohm in our time agreed, saying, deep down, the consciousness of mankind is one. So I don't know how deeply we would need to go beyond these uh, Nobel Prize winning physicists and these world famous poets to really get serious about this idea of interconnectivity, of the lack of boundaries between human consciousnesses. Yeah, and this is a a great introduction. So thank you. When we talk about this consciousness and you write about the existence is is based on unity, connectedness, and cooperation, not in separation, competition, and rugged individuality as we've been taught. And so this is a, a good introduction to to Joan. I want to bring Joan in here because Joan, you write about the capacity to connect is one of our quintessential human qualities and mention how our hope to create a world of harmony and balance requires optimizing our our ability to empathically connect with one another. And it begins in this consciousness. I think Bruce and Larry both agree in their writings about this connectivity is, is super important. So not only are we connected in this unified field, but our connection is a pathway forward to to this moment that we're facing here. How do we actualize a prescription of connection in today's world, Joan? And how do we get that effective dosing into the entire social body at scale? Okay, so the very word connectivity is such an important part um, of the definition of both a healthy psychology and also what spirituality is all about that sense of being connected with a larger whole, but also being connected with oneself and the ability to connect with other people. And what we know, of course, is that that starts in childhood when we connect with an attachment figure. 
And as long as we manage to connect, then the nervous system matures in a way that we actually have empathy for others. We're able to connect at a level of seeing other people, seeing who they are, and also seeing what they need. Because compassion is a very big part of this picture. Uh, If all goes well in terms of our psychological development, and we develop empathy, then what empathy really does is it tells us what other people need, um, what their deepest longings are. And then what compassion is, is our impulse to really um, diminish suffering by meeting those longings. Compassion is something active. And I do believe that that kind of connectivity, which is very real, looking out for the common good, seeing what can we do for each other? What can we do for the least of us? How can all people be seen and encouraged? That's what we need in terms of of making this society a more livable place for, for all of us. And that really begins, um, it begins in utero <laughs> with, how we connect with the fetus, how we take care of our, our ourselves, uh, how women care for themselves and men during the process of conception and the process of growth of the fetus. And it has everything to do with um, the support of parents in terms of, of allowing them to relate in the best possible way with their children in terms of good child care, in terms of um, things like Head Start and preschool, and what the curriculum is like in schools, making sure that schools in different area codes have similar curricula. Because what we understand is that children who are disadvantaged their whole nervous system becomes disadvantaged. And the part of it that fails to develop is the part of us that has empathy, that's able to see the whole, that's able to um, meet the world and the circumstances of our world compassionately. So that's why my husband Gordon DeVeron and I wrote that particular chapter in our moment of choice And I also want to say that um, the quote that you started with came out of the mouth of my dear husband, who Mm. I think really has has been such a pioneer in looking at education as a way to advance consciousness. Thank you, Joan. And I want to expand on that for a minute because I think this is a really important piece as we're looking at the state of our world today when you talk about children and the limbic system. And it's like everyone is really needing to understand how do we come into a state of calmness so we can empower that neocortex to fire back up on our behalf. But you you write that human development happens in relationship and that 
of children in the United States have a history of trauma. So I, I know that the wisdom of how we deal with our children is the wisdom of how we can move forward together. So how do we heal as a nation when so many of us have had a history of trauma and are in a time of trauma right now? Well, you know, very, very basic things are very important here. Trauma is embodied. You don't recover from trauma by thinking about it. You recover when your body starts to feel safe. And the, you know, the real question is how we can teach, how we can teach ourselves and then teach our children how to create a sense of internal safety. And only then can people really make the connection, bond with other people. And it's, you know, there's such an interest right now, Julie, in trauma. Uh, you see courses in trauma all over the internet. Uh, and, and what we do understand is we've all got ancestral trauma on top of the trauma that we may have in, in our childhood. Uh, and that has to be dealt with. So a, a parents who've been traumatized by their parents and by their parents. And, you know, my I'm Jewish, so I have all that Holocaust trauma uh, in my background as well, and trauma from pogroms, all groups who've been traumatized, people of color, Jews, people from various countries, um, people where there have been genocides, have a history of trauma, and even though they themselves have not perhaps been personal, personally traumatized, the ancestral trauma comes through. So we need to recognize that trauma is what isolates. People who are traumatized, um, they tend to protect themselves, isolate themselves, feel separate, all as a way to feel safe. So the question really is, how can we teach ourselves and others to embody a sense of safety in our nervous system. And of course, you know, I've been in mind-body medicine for over 50 years, and it begins with that very basic self-regulation. What does it feel like inside my body? If I'm mindful, can I begin to recognize I'm not a body and a mind, I'm one single body-mind system. And as we begin to notice that, we can notice, wow, it feels nasty <laughs> in mm -hmm. some ways in this body-mind system. And when it feels nasty, what can I actually do to shift that system? And then as we learn that, you know, it's been shown with kids, they can learn that really quickly. What happens is if one person begins to shift towards calmness, then the other people in their household shift. This is something in psychology that's called co-regulation. We regulate one another's systems of safety. And, you know, at a time like this, I tell people, if you're watching television and something is upsetting you, for example, politically about what's happening, Either you need to turn that off so you regulate yourself 
into safety or know what to do in the moment so that you don't become part of the chaos and part of the problem. Because, you know, in the 60s, we talked about vibes. And that's true. Everything is vibrational. So the most important, immediate, practical skill is self-regulation. How do we bring our nervous system into safety so that we begin to be tuning forks that spread peace instead of chaos? Mm. Well, thank you. I think this is a beautiful um, prescription that leads us. It's a, it's a great metaphor, but it's like a real live prescription of, of what we can do in the collective field as well. And we're going to talk about that after break, where literally when we understand how to come back into the calm and really relax our nervous system so that we create greater coherence, we then can move into some of these states and stages of where we're headed with the evolution. And I'm looking forward to expanding this conversation a little bit more as we talk about this connection and this connectedness in so many new ways, including beyond the compassion and into cooperation. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, so much more with Larry Dossie, Joan Borsanko, and Bruce Lipton. We'll be right back. listening to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at EmpowerRadio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at EmpowerRadio.com. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. The difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is calling for one million volunteers over the next three years. We're asking you to step up, make a pledge, tutor a child who needs help, Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Make a difference. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Entire communities improve. The path to success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor or mentor. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. All right. I know this isn't any fun to talk about, but we should. So, who's going to do what? Flashlights? Nowhere to be found. Where to be found. Batteries? Dead. Great. Emergency supply kits? Not packed. No. What about blankets? We have an old towel. Good enough. Cell phones? May not work. Uh, emergency water? Not a drop. And what about food? Nope. Perfect. We all know where we're meeting if we're separated, yeah? 
The library. Aunt Joan's house. The bus stop. Great. And I'll be waiting here wondering where you all are. Sounds like we don't have a plan. Who's up for mini golf? Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov slash kids for tips and information. A public service announcement brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. Or maybe he's teething. Maybe it's just a phase. Maybe he has autism and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator of the beautiful, healthy world we depend on. Come work with me. There's lots of ways you can do that. You can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com and goodofthewhole.org. We are here today with three of the co-authors of Our Moment of Choice, and you can find each of them at their own website. So joanborisienko.com, larrydossie.com, and brucelipton.com. Also, find more about this book. I encourage all of you to pick it up. It is a new must-have read and have it on your shelf, ourmomentofchoice.com. Bruce, getting your voice back in here. So right before the, right before the break, I, th- I thought it was interesting that we were talking about literally trauma and calming that nervous system and moving into action. And when I think of that, I, I do think of that as a prescription also for the collective and um, really to create greater coherence in in our collective intelligence and, and what we share as humans. But you write a lot about the conscious evolution, and I'm really appreciating how you introduced conscious evolution theory and the fact that cooperation rather than competition and struggle drives the force of evolutionary of evolution forward. So to me, this is a perfect lead in when we're talking about the trauma and, and our limbic systems and, and where we've been out of, how do we calm and come together so we can literally access more of that cooperation? So can you say more of, of this shift in awareness toward cooperation as conscious evolution and not competition? What do we know? Uh, the most important insight here, Dr. Julie, is the fact that we came from what you know we refer to as the Garden of Eden. Well, the important word there is garden. And I bring that up because by definition, a garden is not a battleground. A garden is the height of cooperation of all the organisms comprising that, that uh, garden. And indeed, we did come from a garden, but 
we've now interfered with that. And we can even go back to the indigenous people who saw the planet as a garden and saw their role as cooperating and working in harmony with the garden. Uh, and now we've come to this other place where science uh, was redirected in the 1600s with the idea that we can dominate and control nature. And all of a sudden I say, well, then we have become sort of antagonistic to nature. Well, we don't want this or that. Uh, I, I live here in California in a fire zone, which we had to evacuate. Uh, and it's one of those interesting stories because nature, every uh, fr on a frequent level, has fires to clear the garden and start it all over again. And then humans come in and say, no, we don't want the fire. Uh, and, <laughs> and all of a sudden now we come into big problems with this But again. So what, what's the point? And the point is cooperation. And I say, well, this is this is the nature of all living things. And the in fact, Lewis Thomas wrote a wonderful book called The Lives of the Cell a long time ago. And he quote was, it's inconceivable that any organism live alone. Organisms uh, depend on community uh, and children depend on community. Uh, and I go, so where's the problem coming from when we're built in with all this? And I go, people have misunderstood that uh, the mind is controlling the body. The mind is like the conductor of a, a mechanism. And we always talk about the mind does this and that, but I need to just separate very quickly that there are two minds. Uh, they, they work uh, interdependently. They work with each other, but they have different functions. And uh, the problems we are experiencing on the planet is not recognizing the duality of this mind that we have. There's the conscious mind, the latest evolution of the brain, which is connected to our spirituality. Uh, and if you don't want to use the word spirituality, you want to be more scientific and quantum physics, there's a field of uh, energy and each of us is re receiving a, a different part of that field. We all come from the same field. So an analogy to a question before, how how do we relate to this uh, unity? And I go, well, consider that uh, um, you have a television set and that uh, all of the shows are coming in over the antenna. So they're coming from an energy field. And I go, uh, and this energy field is a broadcast uh, frequency. So there's this whole range of frequency that is called the broadcast frequency. Yet each individual station is just a, a little piece of that frequency. So like if you were on the radio and you turn the dial from one station to the next station, you're all in the same band of information, but each station appears to be a separate entity, but it's all part of the whole. Uh, and each of us is like receiving a different band but we're all part of the whole broadcast. And, and when we start to understand this, then we start to see a different relationship of why we're all here, because we're here supporting the band, the frequency, the human character, humanity. Uh, and we are individual human cells in this, as we mentioned before. So I go, so where's the issue with the mind? I go, um, uh, the mind has the two parts, the conscious part, which is creative, and the subconscious part, which is habitual. Uh, and they're so important and they're both very valuable. Uh, the subconscious mind has programs in it. And, and the programs, when they're good, are really great. I'll give you an example of a great program most of us are experiencing right now is the ability to walk. I go, what do you mean? I say, you learned how to walk before you were two. 
And once it became an automatic program, that's a subconscious thing. And it, it, you, were, you can walk without thinking about it. All you have to do is have the intention. And then the automatic program of walking takes over. So subconscious is really good because it frees up our, our consciousness. We don't have to think of every detail of how to walk. We just thought walk and the automatic will now take us. So I say, so the subconscious has got habits. And the habits uh, we acquire, especially cultural, we have to acquire them from the world around us. And so nature designed the first seven years, actually the last trimester of pregnancy, first seven years of life as a download of programs, how to be a member of a community, how to be a member of a family. There are rules. Of course, there are all kinds of rules to uh, coordinate, to, you know, be in that, that community. And I say, well, where do you get the rules from? And I say, an infant gets the rules by observing the parents and the community around them and downloads them. And that's where the subconscious is like downloaded with programs, even before consciousness is ready to go. A child's got programs. Well, the creative mind is the connection to our spirituality, our field, and then has all our wishes and desires. And the subconscious mind's got programs how to behave. And the significance is when we are thinking, we use our conscious mind not to control the vehicle because thinking is like going inside your head and looking for some information. And so uh, who's driving the vehicle when you're thinking? It automatically then uh, goes to the autopilot subconscious. And I go, so what's the relevance of that? And I say, if you have good programs uh, of community and harmony and love and all that as you grow up, those are your automatic programs, your go-to programs. And it turns out 95% of the day, our life is not controlled by our wishes and our desires and our conscious mind. 95% of the day comes from the programs. Well, then all of a sudden you see where the problem comes from. If the programs are defective or uh, you know, self-sabotaging or limiting programs, then 95% of the day we're playing the programs. We're not playing our wishes and desires. So how do we get out of the problem is there's two things. One is not, not default to the uh, subconscious programs by what? Staying conscious, staying mindful. And that's the basis of Buddhist mindfulness. I say, why is it relevant? Because if I stay mindful, then I am actively controlling my behavior, my biology, my wishes, and my desires. But the moment I start thinking... I default to the to the programs that I got from other people. That's where I got the programs from. And if my teachers were good, then I got good programs. If my teachers have problems, I have problems. That's the way it works. So I say, well, one way is uh, stop thinking, <laughs> stay <laughs> mindful. And I go, that's interesting because that's what accounts for the honeymoon. When people people's lives are blah, 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 and they meet somebody, and only 24 hours after they meet them, their life is radically transformed. They're in a honeymoon, heaven on earth, love is beautiful, everything's great. I go, how did that happen in 24 hours? And the answer was, because that's when people stay mindful. That's what science has recognized. The moment they fall in love for that period of time, they stay mindful. They're not using the negative programs they got. They're, they're creating from wishes and desires. And what do they manifest? Heaven on earth. And then once they start thinking again, then those programs that were hidden start to show up and the mm -hmm. honeymoon is over. So the point very simply is this. We can stay mindful. And I said, but that's very difficult because uh, our lives are too busy. We always have thinking to have to do. And the other thing is to change the subconscious programs that we got. And that is the most important thing that civilization can do right now because the programs we received, and especially now we just turn around all this stuff and go back. What is the fundamental program in regard to living in, in cooperation or competition? I say, 
It's a Darwinian theory that said life is a struggle based on competition. We took that program, made culture out of it, and this is the world falling apart in competition, each trying to outdo the other. Uh, and this is the suggestion of how evolution occurs. Well, obviously, how is that working? Uh, it's a state of de-evolution at this moment because this is the thing we have to learn, that competition is actually antagonistic to our evolution, that cooperation is the primary drive force for this evolution. And that means then our programs of competition, which are running 95% of the day unconsciously, that's why it's called subconscious, uh, is taking us away from that harmony. And now it's a wake up call. And this is why, I, you know, uh, I'm so honored to be with Larry and Joni on this call. And thank you for the platform, because this is a wake up call. We must get out of those programs uh, that are, are breaking down the system and that we are creators. And that's what quantum physics said in 1927. We are uh, the mind is the creator of our life experiences, and our experiences are going afoul because our minds are misprogrammed. And the resolution of our evolution, as both Larry and Joni uh, talk about in their own work, is that we have to reprogram the system uh, and, and train our children in a different way and start to recognize we are programming them by our own behavior, which is in turn programmed by our parents and our grandparents. Uh, and so basically, this is an opportunity to wake up because yeah. we can have heaven on earth every day. That that wasn't an accident. That was a personal creation. All of us can create that. But we default to the programs. And that's where the problems come from. Thank you, Bruce. And I, the Garden of Eden is a, a great metaphor for us. That broadcasting with the frequencies is a great metaphor. And I'm, I'm just excited about that. And what you just talked about with this subconscious programming mirrors what what Joan was bringing in with that early childhood and, and trauma and here we are that I, I would really like to expand on one more piece that that you write about Bruce because I think it's really important at this time when we're looking at at conscious evolution and and where we can go forward not just mindfully but consciously as we're moving forward you you mentioned phase one of evolution and phase two and most i'm going to say i've been doing this show for eight years i've been studying this with joan for decades and with larry and we don't normally hear about phase one and phase two of evolution and it's where phase two introduces this concept of cooperation and i'm i'm seeing this as what we can consciously do together on this planet right now so can you explain phase one and phase two for us Evolution is the expansion of consciousness and awareness. Uh, we always used to talk about genetics was uh, the you know the sign of evolution, but it's actually genetics are not the sign. We humans have as many genes as uh, one of the most primitive organisms on the planet, a worm with twenty thousand genes. We both have the same number of genes. Evolution is expanding consciousness, and then consciousness is a is a translation of a of a field of energy into an action of a biology. So there's an inter phase where that 
uh, consciousness energy has to come into the body uh, and so that the body can be endowed with this consciousness and it's a physical uh, expression there are antennas <laughs> just like television antennas receiving signals from the environment uh, and I say well where are they and I say well they're built into the membrane of a cell that's the skin and I go well why is it relevant and I say because each organism can only get to a certain size. A bacterium reaches a certain size inside its little capsule. That's the uh, biggest it can get. And I said, well, if making more membrane is more consciousness, then I say you can start with a simple bacterium, but as you make it smarter, you're adding more membrane, you're adding more membrane, but there's a limitation. All of a sudden it says the bacterium cannot put any more membrane inside that capsule. And I said, well, oh, that was the end of evolution. And then I go, no. Because once you made the smartest bacterium, then you can bring other smart bacteria together in a community, it's called a biofilm in fact, uh, and share awareness. So phase one is make the individual as smart as you possibly can, and once you reach a physical limitation, whether it's a bacterium uh, membrane inside a bacteria capsule or the size of an amoeba or even the size of a human brain, once you reach a certain size, that maximizes the ability. You can't add any more consciousness. But the next level then says once you reach that maximum, community sharing awareness is what it's all about. Uh, and in fact, the history of human uh, technology revealed that our technology didn't really develop in, in, in human culture until enough people started sharing their lives together in tribes and communities where awareness could be shared. Uh, uh, and the bigger the community, the greater the awareness. And this is why our technology is changing day by day, because human civilization is being coupled together. But now we need to couple together the consciousness of what it is to be human uh, and to recognize recognize we are part of a network of biology called uh, the web of life. It's all consciousness. Uh, and it, when we break apart that web, it will fall apart. And that's where we are right now. And so nature is giving us a heads up. Straighten up now, humans, or it's extinction in the immediate future. So I'm sorry for taking so long, but basically it says that we are in phase two. The human brain maximizes its capability inside a capsule called the skull. You could only put so much brain in there and basically uh, all the folds of the brain and the gyri and sulci are surface area, recognizing uh, more intelligence. Human maximized it, phase one, and phase two is human civilization is a sharing of that awareness. Uh, again, I'm sorry for taking so long, Julie. That's okay. I think it's really important. And so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of turn this to each of you now, because I think this is, you know, we're talking about cooperation. We're talking about connection. All three of you have written about our connection with one another, our connection with the planet, with all living beings, and, and even our connection to future generations now as we really think about the, the place that we're at. So I want to turn this into a, a closing question and give you each about three minutes or so, if you could, to, to really wrap this conversation and your individual contributions into this larger idea here. So I'd love to hear you speak on this cooperation piece. And Larry, I'm going to start with you that if, if cooperation is an evolutionary impulse for our survival right now and we understand consciousness and the one mind in this way from your from your your thoughts what do you think i'm convinced that our cooperation on uh 
is geared toward our survival. Uh, let me try to express this uh, concisely by some reflections on creativity. You know, there's an old saying uh, among certain mystics that when we get into a certain frame of mind uh, that's inviting, that the universe comes out to meet us. And this is uh, reflected in the views of some of the most creative people that we've ever uh, known about, uh, including Thomas Edison, for example, who is regarded as one of America's greatest inventors. Uh, he, his own record, is saying that he never created anything. The first time I heard this, I thought, what is he even talking about? Of course, he's one of the greatest creators. But he went on to say that uh, that it, it, it's something that operates almost on the unconscious level. When he's a certain in a certain frame of mind, ideas just happen to occur. He has no idea where these ideas come from. He's not alone. If you look at the great musicians, uh, among who uh, is Gustav Mahler, you find the same sort of thing. When he was composing his third symphony, he wrote a letter to a friend of his and said, people will marvel at how I concocted this. It wasn't I, he said. He said, These, this music just comes from a, from another source. We don't know what this other source is. It's certainly not individual disconnected consciousness. The best we can do is to think that I, I believe that we are in this together and that there's a common uh, source of uh, wisdom in which we all play a part and that we're all responsible in the short run for uh, the creative breakthroughs of any so-called individual. Mm. Beautiful. This common source of wisdom is when we go there and we begin sharing our awareness and cooperating, we're all going to get a bigger piece of this vision and, and roadmap through this time. Joan, do you want to expand on this? What what can you add to the conversation about cooperation if this is our evolutionary impulse right now? As Larry was talking, um, I began to think about something that has been called of the ecstatic spectrum of consciousness, from day consciousness to a state of complete unity with all there is. And that is a spectrum that we can shift along. And I think about creativity and flow states. There's so much interest, you know, especially in Silicon Valley these days, about what can you do so that people get out of their own silo of information, they get out of their own beliefs, and they drop beneath that to something larger where things can come through. That's where inspiration really comes through. That's where, um, you know, I think we, we, we channel something <laughs> beyond our, our own individual intelligence from a larger collective intelligence. And it's just interesting to note that a whole segment of our society is fascinated by that. And they're trying mindfulness meditation, microdosing in terms of, you know, various substances, psilocybin, things of that nature, and really experimenting with what does it mean a larger consciousness to tap into this place where we're we're connected 
my mind takes me to interesting places. I think about, oh, Larry, you'll know who this was. It was a dentist who um, was fascinated with the near-death experience because of the expansion of consciousness, because of seeing beyond one's own limitations toward the common good and really seeing what did you do that made the world a better place. And he began to think, is there some way that we could all have a near-death experience and he experimented with that in the dentist chair, but it not, not it didn't always come out. And I think about this, and I have to say, I have, I have a fantasy that something will happen, and suddenly, all of a sudden, people will experience around the world something, something like that. And we will be transported into a, a different, a different state. And that's some, that's something that I'm going to hold on to because um, I see that potential. And when, when we're in touch with that part in us, that how can I put it? The innate goodness that's present within every human being, the sense of that is that consciousness itself is loving kindness and that when you're in the state of that loving kindness by its very nature you're in a state of cooperation oh beautiful that's a gorgeous way to put a bow on that idea thank you joan i love that and yes to the tapping into the larger consciousness and literally we have groups now who are coming together to tap into this larger state of consciousness together which is so exciting that we can move that awareness into the collective intelligence now and into our problem solving and and be a part of the solution so bruce in two minutes or less this is tough you can bring us home on this idea of cooperation we have to understand something that uh, a human body for example is not a unity a human body is made out of 50 trillion cells every cell is a sentient being on its own i used to clone cells take them out of your body they live on their own just like amoebas and i go well why why is this relevant uh, and the answer is, well, what makes a healthy body from uh, a diseased body? Uh, and the whole idea is this, the 50 trillion cells that make you up, if they live in harmony and cooperation, that's the expression of health and love and, and the, the joy of being alive. But if the cells start to separate from each other uh, and one group of cells like overriding another or competing with another, uh, that's called autoimmune disease, and that breaks the system down into disease. So. Basically, that evolution has a repetitive pattern. We are the cells of the future coming together into this body. And our whole emphasis is now to recognize the unity of who we are and not focus on the differences which have been programmed as being different. We're energy spirits. The body is a separate thing from the spirit. And uh, the understanding of the new science actually invokes uh, the concept of reincarnation because the energy of who we are is a broadcast. The body is like a TV. And when you're watching a TV and the TV breaks, we say, oh, my goodness, the, the TV's dead. And I go, what about the broadcast? And it's still there. 
And I say, why is that relevant? Because humans, the body is like the TV, whether it's male or female, that's just the TV. That's not who we are, whether it's black, white, brown, yellow, red, that, that's the TV. That's not who we are. Now, what we need to do is go, who are we <laughs> versus we're not the TVs. We're that spiritual community and we all come from the same source. And that's the unity that we need to drive to right now. We're all from the same source. The difference in the TV sets is irrelevant. Uh, and when we understand this, it will allow us to let go of those um, uh, biases against things, people, religions, races, and all that. It's irrelevant. We are more than that. And that's the knowledge, I think, that we really need to own as a reality that will help us evolve into the next step. And that's why people are coming together now, recognizing there's more to us than these bodies. There's a consciousness, the drive force of evolution. Mm. Yes to all of that and harmony and cooperation. Thank you so much, Bruce. Thank you, Joan. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate all of you joining us today for this really intriguing conversation. Thank you so much. And I want to leave you with the words of Bruce. While the current system is collapsing, new insights, understanding, and vision offered by cultural creatives from every field of human endeavor are pointing the way to reorganize human civilization so we may thrive into the future. The theory of conscious evolution provides the blueprint for a more enlightened future. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.